Hello, unfucking universe. It's Max. Hanging with 99. <laughs> Hi. She had her gain down. Yeah. Just your gain? Just my gain. You good to go? Yeah. Okay. I always put it down because then I don't have to cut my, like, breathing out. Oh. And I'm probably going to, like, be mouth breathing because my allergies are so fucked up this week. It's bad, right? Yeah. I, I can't do it. It's like all the trees are exploding again. I know. And I can't. I thought I'd be safe living in a city area. Mm-hmm. But there are still trees there, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know. The trees out by me are blooming and spreading your way. Yeah. It's fucked. So. Well, we want to start by sending our appreciation to the Swag audience for coming over and checking us out. Straight White American Jesus. Brad Onishi, specifically one half of the duo over at Swag, joining us for the last episode, which was very well received. A lot of comments on that this week. Almost all positive. A couple of other probing questions or people challenging us on some assumptions or things that we left out. But overall, a really good reception as expected. And I, I just want to say that having Brad's input and expertise on the show as always, just really elevates the discourse. And I'm, I'm just I'm just very grateful to be part of their show. I know Brad feels the same way. He sent us a really kind message after the fact and said, you know, just it was a great experience. He finally got a chance to listen to his comments in context with the show and see how it went. So I know that some of the swag fuckers are going to be joining us over here that might be new to our show. And if you are coming over from Straight White American Jesus, we welcome you. And just know that we appreciate Brad and we appreciate Dan and their contribution to the pod ecosystem and looking forward to working with them and some other shows in the future. So without further ado, a lot going on this week. Obviously, we covered also in a topical cream abortion rights. There was a lot of great feedback, especially 99 to your part where you rounded out the episode and really spoke from the heart. I felt like the feedback to your segment was as authentic as your segment itself. Like it really struck a nerve and struck a chord with people and not just other women. I think it really resonated with with everybody in the audience. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, I figure we'll get into it when we read the comments. Okay, that's fair. Of course, the right is focusing on the leak, not focusing on the first time that the Roe v. Wade decision was leaked, focusing on this time when it was leaked, Bill Barr coming out saying he thinks it was illegal conservatives all over the place trying to figure out if they can prosecute the leaker just totally shifting the plot and losing the plot what if they find out it's they're just assuming it's someone on the left Mm -hmm. very well might not be yeah what if what if somebody on the right was just so excited that they fucking backtrack if it is they'll backtrack a hundred percent yeah be like well they were just protecting the right to free speech shame on them for you know for getting ahead of themselves we we know that they were excited yeah or you know there could be someone over there that's Pro-choice. I'm sure there is. What's amazing to me is that, you know, we went eight full years with nobody in the fucking IRS leaking Trump's tax returns. Trunks. Trunks returns. But, you know, in two seconds, uh, somebody over at the Supreme Court's like, yep, this has got to get out. I mean, come on, leakers. Like a Gen Zer who got in there. Yeah, maybe. Intern. Maybe. They got our backs. You're like, check this out. Yeah. This is fucked. They made a TikTok dance about it. (laughs) Is that hack? It was probably hack. Like one of those like videos where they're like pointing at things on the side and they're like, Supreme Ding. Court wants to take away our rights. 
Whereas my generation would be doing that meme with the guy holding the girl's hand, looking at the other girl walking away. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, sure. Like me, the leak, the Supreme Court decision. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. What would your generation do about it? Us? How would you guys leak it? Make some sort of joke about wanting to kill ourselves. Oh. That's all we talk about. Um, Oh, I'm dead? No, just like... And now I'm dead? No, that, just being like, I'd rather fucking die or like, I'm going to fucking kill myself. Like that's, we say it all the time. Oh. Yeah. That's not healthy. No, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> you, the, you know. So my generation is the generation of bad memes. Mm-hmm. Well, our meme is just wanting to die. <laughs> Yours is just, yeah, okay, good. And Gen Zers will do it on TikTok. Yeah. Honestly, I think more elder millennials are on TikTok these days probably or making those videos or is a good split. Yeah, I guess. It really appeals to 30-somethings. Mm. Well, as if this shit isn't bad enough, this weekend, hopefully, we're going to scare the shit out of everybody. We have a very simple episode coming up this weekend, but it talks about some very powerful consequences. Sort of building on this, it's definitely related, and I think it's going to trouble people. So... Get ready for it this weekend. I think that it's going to open some eyes and there is there's something else that's being missed that we all need to look out for. And it, it's all related. I'm not trying to be cryptic. I'm just trying to really emphasize that this fight is not over. And a lot of people are talking about, well, what are they going to come after next? And I think the question should be, how are they going to do it? So we're going to talk about that this weekend. You want to know what's scary? What's that? So I signed up for a trial of Peacock. And then I accidentally paid for it (gasps) for a month. Just a month. Oh, my God. You're their viewer. Yeah. Well, I was watching Parks and Rec because they, you know, they took it from me. And I was watching the last season. And last night, the final episode came on. So I had to watch it. And there's a scene that flashes forward into 2025 where Ben and Leslie are in the White House with Biden and Jill, which posits that Biden's gonna run again and win re-election isn't that scary he wasn't even president when that came out it was 2015 mm. yeah isn't that fucked up did biden play himself in the show yeah there's tons of politicians there's a scene with cory booker and orrin hatch and i said ha, dead. <laughs> there's one with madeline <laughs> albright and i said ha, dead wow and uh good old john mccain dead i didn't know cory booker's dead no 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 <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Just Orrin Hatch. Oh, Orrin Hatch, yeah. right, right. So anyway, let's get to the feedback from this past week. Now, we have a topical cream episode where there's some feedback, and then the big episode on the religious left, or where is the religious left, of course. And we're going to kick it off with Steve D., who said, I love Bernie, AOC, and other progressives like them precisely because they push for principles that are most in line with Christian principles. I hope the religious left can grow as a group and that American Christians can actually get back to following Jesus. I recommend looking into Red Letter Christians, an organization run by Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo, if you want to learn more about the movement. Thank you, Steve D. So anybody interested in the religious left as it pertains to the teachings of Christ, there's a suggestion for you, Red Letter Christians. And I think you should read this one from Pethan. Yeah, we got a nice long email from Pethan who said, 99, as a fellow Northeastern-based Jew, you have no idea how much the notions you expressed at the end resonated with me. I'm a Jew from New Jersey, and there's plenty of Jews around here, but I was easily only one of 30 Jews in my graduating class of 800. Jewish summer camp really truly is an odd yet positive bonding experience and ritual for our people. And then Pethan is 
talking about the dichotomy of feeling like, quote, an American Jew and not a Jewish American. So he continues, there's some difficulty in this nuance, the duality between identifying as one or the other. Sometimes it's due to a degree of religious observance, a connection to Israel, or just one's relationship with their family's origin. But nonetheless, it's an interesting distinction. And a little later on, Ethan says, The days of social justice have changed since Heschel and MLK, but I do want to push back on Max's sentiment that the Grand Alliance is anywhere dissolved or deteriorated. There certainly hasn't been a moment like Selma in a minute, let alone a lot of social change in general since then. But the connections run deep between the groups and political organizing spheres. But I am of the belief that efforts in media and dark corners of the internet influence a public perception that pits us against them has certainly increased, or perhaps more communities really have gotten more isolated from each other since the 70s. Although that is changing now with a new generation. So that's always the question is, is it a real sentiment or is it blown out of proportion because of the amplification that comes with media today? And I wonder how you feel about that. I'm Again, there's a natural, quote, grand alliance between Jews as marginalized citizens in this country and blacks as historically marginalized citizens in this country from inception. The alliance was that they would work together. And in the episode, we reviewed how that collaboration birthed the NAACP and was responsible for sort of architecting the civil rights movement. And when you think about the numbers that are attached to that, there's obviously much more heft just in terms of pure numbers on the black American side. But Jews were instrumental from their positions, whatever positions of power that they maintained in society at the time, they were instrumental in helping kind of bring that forward. And in synagogue, it was certainly talked about and there was certainly alliance between the two. The fracture appeared to happen in the late 60s, heading into the 70s, and then never seemed to be put back together as Jews advanced in the culture and in our society yet blacks basically stayed in the same place. There was a friction that began to occur. So I guess that then puts the question to you. Do you feel like that, even though you could sort of like see or work emotionally and intelligently through this natural alliance still existing, is there a friction in your mind that is very real or do you think it's all blown out of proportion and perceived? It's tough for me to answer because I can only speak for myself. I'm not storied enough in that period of history to have the context to know what it was versus what it is now. And I was just raised believing in equal rights and accepting the plight of marginalized people in general. So I don't know that I feel a stronger kinship because of my Judaism, more just because everyone should have equal rights regardless of anything. So yeah, I don't know. I know that's it's kind of a non-answer, but it's not. I'm not trying to be diplomatic. I just truly don't know. I can only speak for myself. I wonder what is happening in the churches, though. And I'd be curious to know any subsection of our audience that attends church, if it is ever discussed from behind the pulpit, or if it is ever discussed in in meetings or in the communal aspect of church about feeling very isolated with respect to other religions. I think it's spoken about. So my impression of Judaism is that rabbis are socially conscious. Depending on the level of conservatism. Depending on, yeah. So Religious mostly liberal reformed Jews that 
are mostly what I come in contact with in, in our part of New York, I, I would have to say. Certainly, I'm not talking about like Orthodox Brooklyn or different pockets upstate New York where it's almost like itself a different religion. It is entirely a different religion in many ways. But I feel like advocacy within synagogues is still a very real thing from my experience, that it's that it's talked about and then it's talked about in a communal way. But it's almost like the, there's nothing to go for. So there's no end game right now for everybody to coalesce behind. It's like so much is fucked, but that one specific thing like voting rights mm -hmm. isn't there. It's almost like the, the anti-war movement. Once conscription ended, the anti-war movement lost a lot of steam. Once civil rights, you know, achieved the Voting Rights Act, it seemed like a lot of steam came and, and maybe some strange alliances kind of fell apart and had no reason, had no common enemy to put it back together. So I, I wonder if it's just more of a malaise more than anything and no incentive or urgency to put it back together. But if we have Jewish and black listeners that have some experience within their respective churches, it would be interesting to hear from them what their experience is about that Grand Alliance. Is that something that's even talked about? Yeah. I wonder, so I feel like Judaism is unique in that we have the levels of engagement. We have a name for reform. We have a name for real conservative is different than orthodox. We have all these stages of Judaism where I, to my understanding, other religions don't have that. Where like right, they have sects. Yeah, and you, but it, it's not like they're an orthodox Catholic or they're a reform Catholic. So I feel like because we have these levels, there is you know the lowest tier of like reform, which is what I consider myself, is more of almost like a philosophical religious affiliation of like talking about things. I'm not saying this doesn't exist other places. I'm just, I don't know. So I feel like we have more of the framework to have the discussions, whereas other religions, you know, Christianity specifically is much more focused on the book and what the book says and doing this. So I know there are like liberal churches now, but like, I feel like it's not in place just yet in society to have that same dialogue off the cuff. This is where I wish Brad was actually sitting at the table with us because if we go back through history, even that fissure in the black movement you're talking about, so you had the Baldwin end of it that was just talking about, I don't care if, if you're a Jew or or doesn't matter what you are, if you present white in this world, you hold a certain power over black Americans, period, end of story. And I'm not looking at anything in between. Then you had the Nation of Islam that had Elijah Muhammad and then Farrakhan is sort of the keeper of that faith now being virulently anti-Israel and therefore anti-Semitic as a result of that and still painting Jews with that same broad brush. So you've got Baldwin saying, yeah, you might be a Jew, but you're white. And then you've got Farrakhan saying, yes, but you're ultimately going to be a slave to Zionism and therefore you're suppressing the, the rights of the Palestinian people. And that's sort of where that side of the movement has gone. So that's the cultural side of things and with the Nation of Islam as sort of a, another piece of that puzzle. But in the historically black churches in this country that come predominantly out of the Baptist faith, I wonder if there are discussions like there are in Judaism about the fracture in the Grand Alliance and whether it can ever be put back together in order to advocate for certain things like voting rights restrictions now. It's like all the hard work that they did in the 1960s to lay that down for voting access is, is really being taken away. And I think that's why Brad made the point of talking about John Ossoff as a Jew and Raphael Warnack as a Baptist minister and the heir to MLK's actual pulpit. 
having that alliance and them coming in together really meant something for those two, and we can build off that. But building off that in a ceremonial sense and actually having these conversations take place at church, in the gatherings, at somebody's house or at Bible study class or Torah class, whatever it is, are they having these discussions? Is it meaningful and is it real? Because if they're not happening, I think the big point of that episode and what Pethan and others are really alluding to here is if these conversations really aren't happening, then it's all kind of performative. It doesn't really matter. And that's why the, the left just continues to be eaten alive here because the right is so fucking organized. If anyone has thoughts, feel free to send in a voice recording. That's a great It'd idea. It'd be great to hear it in your voice and not just us watering it down from our perspective. Yeah, and on that note, Alex P., let me water down your thoughts. <laughs> Alex P. said, great episode, but the religious left story isn't complete without liberation theology, a movement emphasizing the historical Jesus, a true radical who was killed by the state for challenging poverty, oppression, and empire. Historically, the Christian left exceeds even progressive liberalism. So liberation theology. Don't know much about it, Alex. We'll definitely look into it. And uh, maybe we'll pose that over to uh, to Brad and get some thoughts from him that we can read in the next episode as well. So I'm going to highlight that to put it out to our friends over at Swag and see if we can't uh, kind of mingle the dialogue here. And then our last feedback for this episode comes from Unconnector Doug. The rise of dominionist fundamentalism is really important and needs to be discussed. There are many Canadians that study this movement. Check out Professor Andre Gagne. Gagne? Gagne at Concordia University in Montreal and Sunshiny on Twitter. Okay. Well, thanks on Canucker Doug. Yeah. We appreciate that. We had some feedback on Topical Cream. This first one is actually directed to you from Bobby McDee in Ireland. So why don't you take us in? Bobby McDee said, Hey, 99, with women like you in the world, the future is bright. The daughters of progress will take the mantle from the old white men and build a better place for everyone. Total respect and much love. I'm a daughter of progress. She's smiling, Bobby. You can't see it, but she was sheepishly grinning. <laughs> and Mark K. said, The privacy abortion battle is part of the much larger picture, as you know. I thought that you might be interested in Dr. Jetalina's newsletter as an ongoing resource, and then gives me a little dig here. It says, Unlike you, she has a knack for professionally, succinctly synthesizing real data for mass consumption. Gotcha. Yeah, succinct. Max, two things that you'll never really read in the same sentence unless it's separated by is not. Mm. Then we have some general feedback. David D. said, I wanted you all to know that the content of this show has significantly improved and at all times the content has been abundantly accurate in the overall synopsis and connections drawn to the forces guiding and deciding the economic policies. That is incredible feedback and... Um, I just, I obviously, I just appreciate that that sentiment. I think that we have gotten better, kind of found our stride, learned our voice over time, but also leaning on some other voices as well. Like we had Crin in the Hollywood episode, we had Brad in uh, this most recent episode from Swage. All of that helps, and as we as we get bigger and as we keep doing this, we're gonna keep leaning on resources. But also, a lot of the the resources that our unfuckers send us do make it into the scripts. So keep sending us the resources on fuckers. And Logan M said, Hey, I've been listening for a while and I've heard how the Federalist Society interacts with the various power structures in America. 
I was wondering if they maybe deserve their own unfucking and the explicit aims of the modern Federalist Society. Characters like Leonard Leo and Scalia back in his bluster and rage at any centrist or left-leaning ruling of the court. Hmm. The Federalist Society is far more dangerous than the average American knows or understands. And having done more reading recently about Leonard Leo, there's very little question in my mind, just based on what I've read, that it is his work that has delivered the court that we have today. The most recent picks were Leonard Leo's picks. The last three justices that you can lay directly on his lap. I mean, he is the one who is guiding the conservative court. So, yeah, a lot to unpack there. There are some great articles about that. If you just look up Leonard Leo, you're going to see some really good stuff out there about how impactful he's been. The Federalist Society is something that will probably make it into larger unfuckings that we do. And when we do eventually unfuck SCOTUS, then obviously it'll be a big part of that as well. So good stuff there, Logan. And let's move over to P. Slippery, who we heard from when we did the episode on the different races that are coming up, including the one that's happening in Oregon. And he did some further research and then sent us an article from Willamette Week. Said, in interview this week with our local indie paper, I really think you guys should check it out because it's fantastic. He's talking about Carrick Flynn now and says his handlers have spent a ton of money promoting this guy, yet apparently none of that went to media training. It's a really quick read. I don't think he comes across well at all. Hopefully the other people around here think the same. So P. Slippery's talking about the Carrick Flynn race that has so far at least $7 million coming in from the uh, Bahamas-based crypto billionaire and other money, and then the PAC money on top of it from Pelosi's PAC, all to elect somebody with absolutely zero experience over the candidate that was chosen by the current governor and basically every progressive group and organization within the state. I will say, I did read it, and he doesn't come across all that well because he simply won't answer the question about whether or not it's fair to have a, a billionaire donor essentially buy his race out. And his response to it was, it's my message that's resonating and refuses to answer the question about, well, is it okay that your message gets out there with $7 million in funding from a single source? And how can you say with a straight face that if you are successful and you do get into Congress, that you won't be there simply to do the bidding of that one financial backer? And he essentially says that this system is broken. It doesn't work. But irrespective of that, it's my message that's resonating. And if my message wasn't great, no amount of money in the world would actually be able to promote it. So we know that that is built on a false premise because that is the nature of propaganda. You know, whoever says it the loudest and most often typically wins regardless of how valid the point is. So that's complete fucking bullshit. And I will say that Willamette Week is probably one of the best, if not, I mean, in the top five alternative weekly papers in the country. They routinely win awards that punch above their weight. They've been that way ever since they started, so I would trust any investigative news that you ever read coming out of Willamette. I would definitely think that it is good stuff. And Linda in Utah, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong too. Utah. Apparently people Talk. in Colorado say Colorado. Colorado? Yeah. I was listening to a different podcast and they were talking about that. Oh my gosh. Colorado. Yeah, but it's Colorado. Well, I say Utah. You don't. Utah. I like to. Florida. 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 Down in Florida. Florida? 
It depends how much I've had to drink. Truly. <laughs> and the New York accent comes out really strong. Super thick. Yeah. Well, Linda in Utah said, people on the left often say something like, investors insist on big returns, therefore companies will not do X. For instance, no one can afford to build affordable housing without subsidies because it's more profitable to build housing for the wealthy. Because I have investments in retirement funds, which are tied to the stock market as a whole, I've been thinking about that and have some inclination about why it might be true. However, I think you're all much better suited to addressing the issue. Could you do that? And if you can think of any ways to improve the situation, cover those too. Really interesting question. 20% of the nation has its wealth tied up in the stock market. So first of all, 80% of the market is just for the top 10%. The bottom 90% are in there, but it only represents about 20% of the market. So the market is super important, obviously, for people's retirements. If you have a 401k, then all of your wealth is not just tied up in whatever your real estate assets might be or any life insurance that you have or any other assets that you might possess. So the stock market, when it, when it moves and it, and it goes through these enormous gyrations, does have an immediate effect. When you think about when the market dipped and they talk about the wealth of the country being wiped out, the wealth of the top 10%, the top 1% will rebound and they have the ability to kind of stick with it and stay in it. It's the other 80% that typically dips out of the market at that time or at the precise time that they need that money, the income producing part of their retirement investments to produce an income to keep them stable in their lives. That's what it impacts them the most. How do you be a conscientious investor to only invest in companies that aren't tearing us apart, aren't tearing the planet apart, but actually maintain a healthy retirement. It's a very difficult balance. There's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of friction. I will say that you can, in any sort of plan like this, talk to your investment advisor, whoever runs the plan, and ask them to move your portfolio into a socially responsible investment vehicle. I would stay away from investing in anything that is that puts a substantial amount of your money in any one particular industry. For example, if you said to your investment advisor, hey, I want to do the right thing. I want to be socially conscious and responsible about my investing in my portfolio. So I only want it to go into renewable energy. That's not a great, great investment strategy because that's never a good investment strategy. You never want to be single sourcing your, your income. Diversify your portfolio. You want to be diversified. But you can diversify in socially responsible vehicles. Of course, there's another side to this. Isn't McDonald's considered like socially? Right. <laughs> when you go to these big, big investment funds, like if you go to a Vanguard, and we talked a little bit about this in a prior episode. So I want to send Linda in Utah and anybody else that's interested in this subject back to a couple of episodes. We did a two-parter called Corporate Irresponsibility. Then shortly after that, in May of 2021, we followed it up with an episode called The Problem with Conscious Capitalism, ESG, SRI, and FMF. Of course, FMF is Fuck Milton Friedman. Say it loud, say it with me, yo, fuck Milton Friedman. ESG is environmental, social, and governance, and SRI is socially responsible investing. With these two areas, there's been a lot of fuckery at the institutional level. So even if you're asking your portfolio manager to put you into some of the big name funds that they have access to, there still may might be some fuckery in there because 
the Koch brothers, for example, have sustainability reports and will try to be uh, hold themselves out as an environmentally responsible company. And we know that that's fucking bullshit. Well, there's a lot of that fucking bullshit that's in there. The other way to go about it is to actually invest on your own if you have the wherewithal to do that. But that is a very, very difficult thing to do. It is not for the faint of heart and could lead you to be, you know, being wiped out as well. There's no really good, clean answer to this. But I would say that a starting point is any manager that's worth their weight and at least being able to take fees to manage this stuff should have available to them a socially responsible fund that they can put your money into it. And that fund itself will be diversified. But it's a very it's very tricky. So, Linda, go check out those episodes if you get a chance. If you have follow up questions for us, definitely weigh in because it's a it's an area that 99 and I feel very strongly about. Have you seen or heard ads for Masterworks? No, I'm thinking Masterclass. No, no. Masterworks, no. Every podcast I listen to is chilling for it. It's a new way to invest where you can invest in a piece of fine art. Oh, no. Yeah. And they're saying it's a good investment because the value always goes up, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So you invest in a piece. And I just don't. I don't get it. I mean, there's, there's, there's that. That's what I'm looking for. And then there's the crypto scams with NFTs. This isn't a scam. Like it's, it's like a legitimate company. That's not just like some shady guy, you know, in a basement. It still feels stupid to me. <laughs> Is that, am I, am I missing? Like, I can't wrap my head around why you would want to own a piece of a fucking painting. You don't. As an individual, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. There's an old adage in investing where it's like, you know, when you're when your grandmother is playing the market, it's time to get out. Mm-hmm. When you have access to something that is that is such a small world. And by the way, you're also talking about a world that is extremely corrupt and you want to take a sliver of that extremely corrupt world. You don't have any control over the outcome of that. And if you're getting a piece of that pie as a regular investor off the street, you're not getting a cherry piece of pie. You're, you're getting you're getting some shit crumb from somebody else's fucking pie that's been you know burned. Also, to that end, you'll hear ads for being part of real estate investments like that. Where well, that you can sounds take like a, a real scam. That sounds like timeshare scams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and again. Are they real investments? Absolutely. Are these portfolios built with dogs and a properties so that they can, you know, claim that there's some really good income producing properties in there? Sure. Dogs. But if you if you can buy these things as a regular investor on the street, not being a quote unquote savvy investor, it's probably a lot more volatile and a lot more risky than you'll ever even realize. 401ks are designed to not be as risky because they typically are inherently diversified, but there's risk in that as well. We're learning a lot about the investment marketplace right now. What's interesting is that we've taken for granted over the last 15 years. Am I doing that math right? Yeah. So we've taken for granted, let's say, since the crash, how good people are at investing. We think we think that the, the market's always and, and forever going to go up. And it will over time because that's what it does. But the people that try to time it, it's always folly when you do that because the market goes up and it goes down due to forces that are beyond your control. Today, it's different. 
And it's different than it was two years ago and then five years ago, because a lot of the capital that's in the system right now is extremely risky. A lot of what's moving capital through the system is algorithmic based on AI looking for signals that are sometimes false in the marketplace. You have no shot as a regular investor of doing something that makes any sense to promote your income and your lifestyle and is extremely risky to be in any of these places. What's going to happen over the next few years, though, as rates begin to increase, is you're going to be able to sort of safely protect your money in more fixed assets and fixed income investments and not have to worry about the the vagaries of, of the equity markets that you don't control. But it's all fucking risky to some degree. So make sure that your wealth isn't all like... I, and I'm not giving out financial advice all of a sudden, but <laughs> it, the bottom line is all of this stuff is happening beyond you and the rules were rewritten for the major institutional investors who have the most to gain and to gain in a sustainable fashion. They've gamed the system so completely, so entirely that you have very, very little shot of moving the market. So I wouldn't try to vote with your wallet when you're doing these things. I think that too is folly. You just, you have to vote for the right people in office that can affect change at a policy level to reduce as much fuckery as in the system right now. That's really the the lesson here. All circles back. Yes. I'm going to give you the login to my IRA and you can fix it. Okay. <laughs> I have an IRA and a 401k. You're going to put everything in coal. Are you proud of me? I am proud of you. Yeah. I'm always proud. Thank you. I don't know if I answered that question directly other than saying to go check out that one episode. I liked it. Yeah. I like when you get, you know, you pop off. Oh, pop off. I think we should unfuck Sotheby's, it sounds like. You seem to have a lot, a lot of thoughts on fine art. So I knew somebody that was involved in fine art. Was it a scam? Did they get a fake painting? Oh, he was a straight-up gangster. Oh, cool. Who found a lane in fine art and basically said, these fucking people are more corrupt than the world I came out of. This I recognize. And he killed. He did great in it. Is he still in it? He's not with us anymore. Oh. That's all I want to say about that. Yikes. Now, Ahsoke. Oh, I'm going to give this one to you because Ahsoke is talking about anime and had some feedback here. Yes, Ahsoke said, as a huge anime fan, I feel that it's my duty to let you know about Grave of the Fireflies. This is, in fact, an anime movie. Studio Ghibli, pronounced Ghibli. So that was, I said Ghibli or Ghibli? That was you my, said both, yeah. Yeah, right. I was, yeah, but I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. One person was like, oh, come on. And I'm like, sorry, <laughs> I, I really? don't know everything. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I, I pretend I do, but, you know, I can be wrong sometimes. Um, they are an anime studio. There is no, quote, pure anime or anything, so don't worry, 99. Isoke is not gatekeeping me. She's being an ally to me, and she's giving me leniency with what I don't know, and I appreciate that. Ahsoke's comments are always fucking cool. Yeah. She said the movie is absolutely beautiful and highly recommends it. Be prepared to have your heart ripped out of your chest. When I watched it, I was thinking about it for a few days again and told myself I couldn't watch it again. I really want to see this. It's on. I, I double-checked. They are on uh, HBO Max. Yeah, I really want to see it because, I, again, I have no I have no context for anime, but I... I mean, it's just don't go into it. With, like, I don't think you need to know anything about the world. It's just a movie, you know? Listen, I can't watch the first five minutes of Up, right? And what's the fucking difference? It's a goddamn cartoon, right? So I'm sure it can rip my heart out of my chest. Do you want to watch it together? And no, stop? no. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Sometimes I go reverse mode, though, and I don't cry. 
I do an uno reverse. For real? Yeah, sometimes it's too sad that I can't even let it in. Like, I can't let it permeate my cell wall. And I, <laughs> I just, like, like, I don't cry at, like, funerals. For real? Yeah. If it's, it's a defense mechanism. I don't even have to know the person to cry at a funeral. My insides are crying. Right. But my outside is like if I open if it if it opens, it's not closing. That's so interesting. So I have to lock up. Even weddings. You don't even know you're doing it. It just it it just happens. Yeah. I mean sometimes there's a conscious of like I can feel like I could cry and then I'm like, all right, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> for for everyone's sake. <laughs> I made a comment earlier that you don't cry, you leak. Like sometimes you'll be talking to 99 and there'll just be tears streaming down her face. And she'll be like, I'm fine, really. I just need to make this point to you. And she's, and it's really, until you really get to know her, it could be, a, it could be a little discomforting, but it's like, oh, okay. Oh no, we're good. Now I know if she's talking to me, but she has like a, a kind of a wry smile and she's making a good point and things are coming out and, and she's also leaking not to freak out. Yeah. You know, I can't you just help have to it, focus on the word, but I'm trying to be my best, my best self and my best advocate and tell people it's okay to cry. Absolutely. It's okay to cry. And Absolutely. I didn't feel like it was okay for a long time. I felt weak. Hmm. But Anybody that's ever pulled up next to me at a stoplight probably, you know, was wondering if it's a, that's where I do my best crying. Oh, yeah, in the car? Oh, my God, you're yeah. you're in a movie? No, no, that's just where I'm like, oh, I'm by myself now. Mm. I'm sure no one can see me except for these 20 people at the stoplight. I know, it is crazy that you just like, people see you do the weirdest shit in your car. <laughs> like you can't see me yeah but it's like you know you see me like eating chips at nine in the morning <laughs> so i'm like it's all i had <laughs> like what are they thinking about me <laughs> i try okay. not to dig for gold though that always amazes me is the amount of people that are digging for gold as you pass by them you're like come on man i'd rather them do it in their you. car yeah you know at least it's a safe Still space want to borrow their car no absolutely like, i drive your car Ugh. no <laughs> andrew l now talk about popping off. Yeah. Andrew L was fucking mad yeah, at me. And I get it. Let's go through it. Max, you're a lot smarter than me. I doubt that, Andrew L. But your recent remarks on Ukraine were borderline delusional. Firstly, America can't suddenly pretend that it has, quote, nothing to do with Russia, Ukraine, and Europe. Okay, fair. So I'll try to pause throughout this and, and address each one as succinctly as I possibly can, which is not at all. America can't suddenly pretend it has nothing to do with Russia, Ukraine, and Europe. Yes, that is fair. However, this really is a European first issue. And so to whatever extent there can be interventions and diplomacy, it should be through the auspices of the EU, and we should be there to backstop it and backstop it aggressively and fervently. But it should be a European first issue issue. Secondly, Putin weaponizes attempts to negotiate, always has, always will, and to push naive fantasies of, quote, diplomacy with Putin while deliberately leaving Ukraine defenseless is effectively urging Ukraine to capitulate to his kleptofascism and return for an Orwellian peace. I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment as well, Andrew. My problem was less with our response in this moment in the immediate and more with the run-up to it. So again, you go back and listen closely to what I was saying about it. And I'm not saying I'm uh, I'm no, you know, I'm not an ambassador, a diplomat or an expert in foreign policy. My point was understanding 
the economic interdependency and the ramifications of what an invasion would mean. If we knew that there was an invasion happening, that's when you say any outcome here is a disaster, whether it's for the Ukrainian people or Europe in general, the long game, which is the worst possible outcome, which would be nuclear catastrophe. Arming the Ukrainians will only lead to a protracted war. So my point was, how do we not, with advanced knowledge that this is going to happen, lock arms with President Xi and present a united front behind Europe to go in and say, no, 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 this doesn't happen. This is what was going to happen. This is not going to happen. So let's really talk this out. Now, do we want Putin in office? Do we want him sitting in that chair as the dictator of that country? Clearly not. Nobody does at this point. But we're not bringing anything to bear. There is no, no dialogue anywhere about diplomatic resolutions to this. All we're doing is arming the Ukrainians. And yes, I am listening to voices who have witnessed and reported on and directly seen what happens when you arm a civilian, a predominantly civilian population with these type of weapons, all it does is prolong these wars and create more civilian casualties. So anyway, let's go on with Andrew's comments. A British man with a Ukrainian wife said to friends who couldn't understand Ukraine's refusal to surrender in return for peace. If a man invades your home, rapes your children, murders your wife, steals your car and your business, all in the name of an imagined crime you both know didn't commit, then demands to permanently live in your bedroom in order for him to stop. Would you give him that bedroom? And if so, would you call that peace? We're supposed to learn from history. The appeasement of Hitler led directly to the horrors of the Second World War. The craven, short-sighted diplomatic refusal of the West to intervene against fascism in Spain all but guaranteed Hitler's invasion of Sudetenland to Poland. Both genocidal invasions preceded by false flags in the name of rescuing German speakers, i.e. attacks almost identical to the form to Putin's, whereas the illusion of diplomacy and negotiation got us since Putin came to power. Ukrainian civilians are being raped, bombed, tortured, executed, and sent to gulags, whether they are armed or not, and it's systematic. Everyday Russian state media unambiguously states that only should Ukraine not exist, but neither should Ukrainians or Ukrainism. American providing arms and training is helping save these people from extermination, not magically causing them to be killed when they otherwise wouldn't be. For fuck's sake, get real. So the analogy to somebody coming into your house and murdering your children and raping your wife and, and then asking to sleep in the bedroom is a false equivalency because you're talking about a, a direct crime involving people. These are nation states and nation states are built upon war, diplomacy, peace, and everything in between. We have very direct lines, you know, go to our episode last week, biblical laws and lines that have to do with how we treat one another, what is acceptable in any culture, and none of the things that you mentioned would be acceptable in any culture. And yet, all of the things that are happening from Russia's perspective in attacking Ukraine have happened and are considered norms in warfare. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying it's okay. I'm saying the exact opposite. It is not okay. But these are nation states, not people. And we cannot simply push our will against another's will because they violated some international norm. If that was the case, then when we invaded Iraq, then Spain would have had the ability to invade America. That's essentially what you're saying. Somebody, another country could have seen what we did in Iraq as so offensive that they could have picked up the mantle 
of democracy and liberty and freedom for all people and then invaded us. What I am saying is that as members of, there are, I think, 180, 200 organizations, we covered a lot of them on a previous episode, that are organizations that are alliances between nations, non-aggressive alliances between nations, and none of them came to the defense of Ukraine. Not one of them. Not militarily, but diplomatically. Again, it's not that arming the Ukrainians is not a measure of helping them basically not be annihilated. What I'm saying is that that, in the absence of any diplomacy, is just arming them to be killed in a more sustained manner with the casualties to be to be held on both sides. You can't have zero attempted diplomacy. And the difference between Germany during the 1930s and what's happening now is that nobody in the, in the world was prepared to fight that battle against Germany because they were all dealing with the most economically depraved situation that we'd seen in modern history. So again, it's not a false equivalency, but they're not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges when you're trying to compare the circumstances that the world was in during the rise of Hitler, because you're talking about the basically the complacency of Neville Chamberlain and all of the other countries coming out of World War One in the midst of the Great Depression and then being it like, I, I don't know that the Europe can sustain another war because at that time, for shit sure, America wasn't going to come into it. And without America's involvement, World War I goes down the drain. And for shit sure, they knew that nobody was going to be capable of holding back a Germany in a second war without the United States' involvement. So, I mean, this it's never the same, the same, the same. It's like trying to, it's like oh, people that are like, oh, he's comparing them to Hitler and Nazis. No, it, it, these are never the right comparisons. What is real is what's happening right now. And here's what we know. There was no diplomatic attempt to resolve anything. I don't want to see Putin in power. I don't want to see him killing Ukrainians, but I don't want to just arm Ukrainians to see them wiped out when they're not capable of fucking handling an onslaught from a very organized Russia. The economic pressure we could have brought to bear with partners in China and with partners in the, in the European Union would have fucking choked Russia to such an extent that they couldn't have pulled this off. But if you also remember from reading Kennan, we would have had to give something. And that's the other fucking side of diplomacy that the United States doesn't seem to appreciate anymore. To go in and actually say to Putin prior to him invading Ukraine, hey man, that's not going to happen and here's why. The entire world is against you in these very specific ways. Now, you need something, what is it? Because Ukraine's not it. You can't have that. That's not on the table. Oh, you want some restrictions put on NATO? You want military bases taken out of Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, every basically every fucking country that borders your country? I understand that. You don't want any Western involvement in bases and military occupation of these countries that are on your border. That we can talk about. As a matter of fact, the great will of the American people is to start to demilitarize around the world. So that's actually going to work for me at home. Hey, China, what do you have to throw into the mix? None of these conversations happened. And so, yeah, is he a fucking mass murderer and a dictator? And currently, right now, the worst person in the world? Yes. My point is, we're fucking America. Lead for once. 
And I'm not angry at you like you're angry at me, Andrew. I think you're bringing up a really good point and a good conversation. And it, just, and it needs to be had. And we should be having it at the top of our lungs at and with one another and trying to drive to a better solution for a better future for all of us because every single day Ukrainians are dying and just sending them more weapons of destruction is not the answer. It's not going to work. So if that fails, then what? Shouldn't we be pursuing diplomacy? I don't have like <laughs> any context to add to that. I just wanted to, to say that maybe every time we talk about this in the past, whatever, we've had someone who's angry or upset or just disagree. So maybe obviously we still continue to have the conversations, but also to you and to the unfuckers, like maybe this is the one that it's okay to disagree on. You know, if you have a fundamental difference in belief about how it should be handled, like that's okay. Absolutely. So just encouraging, we should have the dialogue and the discourse, but also I also find it hard, and I've, I've talked about it before, when someone I respect a lot and they have such a such an outlandish take that I can't comprehend. And it's hard for me to not be like, well, fuck everything else you say then because you get so fixated on something you're passionate about. But then I try to remember like, all right, it's one thing. I align with 99% of, of the other, of everything else. So, you know, don't let this ruin your relationship with Max or vice versa, <laughs> yeah. Max. No, I love, well, Andrew's, and I know you, is, yeah. he's written him before. Uh, Andrew's, um, the only thing I take real issue with is that he says I'm smarter than him. I'm not. Um, <laughs> you just have the microphone. I just, ha yeah, I have the microphone, but I, but that's why we want to give the unfuckers the microphone as well. And that's why I didn't just take a piece or a chunk from, from his email because it's really well reasoned and I totally get it. But I do think that every single circumstance throughout history is different and we're and we're in history right now we're in its in its we're making it and are we have to question are we making all the right decisions so anyway with that why don't we go over to social media 99 what's going on on facebook so we had some feedback from our religious left episode valerie e said this was a fucking fantastic episode thank you Aaron E. said, fun fact, the USA has no official religion because the founders knew if they picked one, all hell would break loose. The state must remain agnostic or just like the other former English colonies, just a little Anglican on special occasions. It's funny because in preparing for our upcoming episode, I'm digging back into the Federalist Papers, which, as you know, I think are some of the best documents that we have to understanding the intent of the founders. They're like the crib notes of the Constitution. And uh, it is decidedly unreligious and they tell you exactly why and this is certainly one of them the other side of it is that the founders themselves were not for the most part religious people and that just seems to escape so many people on the right who love to invoke the founders in everything anyway matt b said as someone on the christian left and on the path to becoming a pastor I thought UNFTR did a great job of introducing the topic. It is quite complex. The Bible theology, the way we talk about God, is what made me move left and quite quickly. I would have voted for Trump in 16 and now identify as a democratic socialist. There are several books about how the religious right came to be. One of the best books out there is called Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. Interesting heard about this book actually a few times after we had torched John Wayne in show notes. I think we did it, right? 
Yeah, I think another Unfucker recommended it, and it's in our Unfucker recommended bookshop list right now. That so is we'll correct. Have to order them, order it rather. And there is another. I'm just looking on my app because. Oh, I get to peek into your pocket casts. Mm-hmm. Want to see mine? I'll show you mine. <laughs> Gross. Sorry. <laughs> I also had thought it. Here's mine. <laughs> culty. A little bit culty. I was listening to them. It's Sarah and her husband, Nippy. They're the two Nexium whistleblowers. I actually linked one of their episodes to Dakota R. a few weeks ago, who was asking about dealing with a Trump-supporting family. And they interviewed someone who was kind of escaped, essentially, like the alt-right, who got indoctrinated because of her boyfriend just over slowly over time. And then she was like, looked around herself one day and was like, what the fuck am I doing? So it was really fascinating. So, the one that I was searching for is uh, Robert Evans' show "Behind the Bastards," mm. which a lot of people have actually recommended to us in the beginning, and a couple of people actually thought I was Robert Evans when I, we first started don't the sound podcast. Anything alike? No, we don't. I know, I know you. Like, I know you too well. So, I guess if I didn't know your voice so well, maybe I would think it. But, but yeah, someone actually emailed the other day asking what we thought about Robert Evans. And I told them we were big fans and would love to collaborate with him someday. Yeah, Behind the Bastards is great. Yeah, they are, I mean, I don't know how they find the time. Yeah. Got to be a big network behind them because they they are prolific. So the episodes uh, that they came out with recently, oh, so one of the shows that we did recently, uh, a whole piece on John Wayne, it was the military film industrial complex. I had a whole segment. I was going to do a tell me a story about John Wayne. And I wound up on the cutting room floor. It just didn't fit as neatly into the narrative as I thought it was going to. We mentioned that in show notes. And literally, like, the next day, they dropped a, John, a three-part series, John Wayne, A Dude Who Sucked. <laughs> and I listened to the whole thing, and it's fucking great. It's just, it's tremendous. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't do double work. I'm, uh, I mean, uh, you're not Robert <laughs> Evans. Uh, so where are we? And so Chip W. said, thank you for yet another outstanding thesis. The ideology of Christian America produced by corporations, ministers, and politicians convinced a large, formidable portion of the U.S. that the nation not only stood on Christian principles, but the very genesis of the nation's creation stood on an unclear version of Christianity. Wow. Well said, Chip W. The ambiguousness of conservative Christianity welcomed any Christian denominations to participate. This allowed political slogans to bend insinuated calls for revival, created a monopolization of U.S. memory, and remains contentious in the United States today. We have the smartest listeners. We have the smartest listeners. You know, I Max pointed to me, I don't know how to say what, I don't know what no. the things mean. So Kevin G. rounds out on Facebook Kevin and says, Kevin G. from Mean Girls? Is that, who is that? Yo, yo, yo. Oh, you suck at MCs and got nothing on me for my brain. <laughs> I think it touched Kevin G. I'm a mathlete. I think you did, yeah. Nerd is the word. Forget what you heard. I'm like James Bond the third. Just shaking, not stirred. I'm Kevin a poor. G is silent when I sneak in your door. Yeah? <laughs> you know I just let you go when you do these because there will be a roundup of 99 singing him. and rapping. I met him, Kevin G. He came to my college. I put a photo with him. Hmm. But this is not Kevin. No, this no, is no, not no. the same. Sorry, this is not the fictional. Well, it could be. Well, sure. But this Kevin G. Sorry. Whoever it is, called out one of my mispronunciations. Just so you know, Catonsville is pronounced with a long A. It's Catonsville. 
So the Catonsville Nine. Hmm. That's funny. Because I'd have to go back. So I remember an interview with a with an actor that I I love, Deborah Winger. Years ago, random. I know, very I know that's random. so random. She rarely gives out interviews, and she is very acerbic. She's also one of my favorites. I love her so madly because I am old, and that's why I love people like Alan Alda and Deborah Winger. I'm just still caught up in my basic white guy universe from years and years ago. But Deborah Winger is really, really bright. But she is reluctant to do interviews because she reads more than she consumes media. And so sometimes in her mind, she has things that are pronounced a certain way. And because I don't consume a lot of televised media, I find that I do have a tendency to mispronounce certain things. So I always love being corrected and I'm not being facetious. I really do. So I guess it's pronounced Catonsville. So thanks, Kevin G. I know that was random. No, I I enjoyed it. Okay. I mean, I said last week I didn't know how to pronounce Studio Ghibli. Right. Because I've only ever read it. So, you know, oh. you can't can't shame everybody. That's right. Just sometimes. And the things that I have heard and mispronounce, again, it's the New York. Uh, now, related to topical cream, is this also Facebook? Okay, so Carol H. said, thank you, 99. It's fucking 2022. And thank you, Max. I knew you'd hit this one straight out. No problem. And Rodney K. said, thank you, Max. And 99, well said and well reasoned. Good stuff. And on the Twitters, related to the Religious Left episode, I.R. Skullbeard, Ear Skullbeard, said, fucking phenomenal episode. I like how so many people are cursing with respect to our religious episode. Just makes me feel all warm inside. Mm -hmm. And uh, Straight White JC, I think we know that person. I think so. Said, what an honor to work with Max and the team at UNFTR Pod is an astounding show that I highly recommend. Take a listen. And that resulted in a whole bunch of new followers on the Twitters, didn't it? It did, yeah. Some retweets. Love did that. you like my artwork? I loved your artwork. <laughs> I always love your artwork. I know, but this one I was especially pleased with. You should be. You should be. It was inspired. <laughs> it was inspired. And Unfuckers, do you know that? Do you know that these are 99 inventions, all of the artwork that... When you think about the level of detail that goes into each one of these episodes, beyond just the script that I prepare... All of the beautiful, brilliant touches that are in every single episode that are creations and inventions of Manny Faces, and then all of the things that surround the episodes, the show notes, the musicless feed, that's a 99 invention and inspiration to make sure that any of our listeners have auditory processing issues can access all of our information, the, whole, the entire substack. The art that goes along with each individual episode, not just the show itself, the entire webs I mean, the whole website. All of these things constructed by the Brilliant 99. That's why you're so amazing. That and a million other reasons. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's get to more flattery of me. Okay. So Gimli of Gloin said, I have so many people on Facebook that need to hear 99 at the end of the latest episode. Thank you, 99. Gimli was telling me to update the Facebook <laughs> so he could share the episode. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and then Lee Smoo said, 99 summed up my feelings exactly. Checking in from Colorado. Where? Colorado. With similar privileges as 99. Let's fight like hell and not let the theocrat bigots rule our bodies like they are objects to be controlled. And then wild-eyed Bob Knudsen came in and said, I am moved by the words of a woman whose name I know is a number. In ways no number of conservatives and regressives ever have or could. Thank you, 99. Max, mostly agree. 
I blame us who didn't take to the streets over hanging chads and that SCOTUS fuck up. Hashtag TX28. The hashtag is referring to Jessica Cisneros running against Henry Cuellar. We're going to have those results coming up at the end of May. Anxiously awaiting that. Jessica Cisneros, by the way, getting a lot of media, especially after the coverage, because the inconsistencies in the Democratic Party really wound up being highlighted and laid out there for everyone to see with the establishment Democrats promoting pro-life Henry Cuellar down in the Texas 28. And Jessica Cisneros as a progressive, as a pro-choice candidate, not receiving any any love from the establishment. And uh, although the establishment and Nancy Pelosi coming out and saying that this election will be a referendum on this proposed Supreme Court decision, but I guess not when it comes to how they're going to allocate their dollars towards candidates. How would Nancy Pelosi say that? Texas 28. <laughs> uh, okay, should we go to Instagram? Sure. Neve Estrella said, on my second listen, well done. I've become a fan of Swaj over the last few months. I'm going to support them on Patreon now. Oh, that's awesome. We need you all. Also, I ordered three of the books you listed. Y'all are the worst possible thing for my bookshop hobby. <laughs> that's great. Good deal. And we'll link Swaj's Patreon in our show notes in case you want to support them. That's a great idea. And by the way, all of the books that we recommend can be found in bookshop.org slash shop slash UNFTRpod. So head over there because it's not just the books we recommend, but it's the books that the community unfuckers of unfuckers have recommended as well. Again, thanks to 99 who set that whole fucking thing up. She does it all. Now, Jesse T said, Hello, UNFTR. Thanks for putting out an episode with a religious unfucking I really appreciate how broad you went with it and how you didn't vilify all religious folks in an effort not to alienate progressives who happen to have a faith tradition. But Jesse did say that one thing we barely touched on in the episode is the entrenched far-right contingent of religious affiliation, that sort of religion, that currently holds sway over the national political discourse in increasingly terrifying mainstream outlets. Please do an unfucking of the patriot and militia movements. Well, I value my life, <laughs> and that of 99s and that of many faces, and I certainly don't want any militia members coming after us. I, I wonder how, how evangelical these militias are. It's a, it's a really interesting question, and I, and I hadn't thought, I've obviously thought a lot about armed militias in the country, particularly as it related to, to January 6th. I hadn't really thought about their, and it, yes, wrapped in the flag and God and country and, you know, a bizarre version of the religious right. I just hadn't thought about it specifically in the context of these militias. Of course, we could go back and look at the KKK as an armed evangelical militia itself. And I just I just hadn't tied that that thread back to today. So that's a really interesting thing to look at. Thank you for that suggestion. Now that brings us over to Substack. Amy L said, I love 99's final words. I am also a white woman in a blue state, and yes, overturning Roe v. Wade felt like the boogeyman. I can't believe this is real. What the fuck do we do? We're going to get further into what we can do, Amy. That's that's certainly going to be a big part of uh, the rest of this year. So I made my roommate listen to my part of the episode. She said it sounded like slam poetry. <laughs> really? <laughs> a little bit. Like I see it, you know, no bed, me just reading. <laughs> no. Well, when I was also doing funny. like you know, <laughs> acting it out for her as a, as we were listening, so I could hear it. 
I do think the slam poetry by Jonah Hill in 22 Jump Street is uh, some of the funniest <laughs> cinema that's out there. Or the uh, slam poetry in She's All That with Freddie Prince Jr. You got me there. Hacky sack. He does a whole thing about <laughs> hacky sacks, like because they call him up as a test, basically. And it gets, you know, deep in his talking about can't let it touch the ground. And it's a metaphor for him not wanting to let his dad down. Wow. Yeah. It's a great movie. Okay. I take your word Paul for it. Walker. Oh, He's was he? A, he was in it? Yeah. Oh, that's all very sad. All very sad. Now, Celtic Apache weighing in. I love 99's final words as well. I appreciated UNFTR as a whole and their constant emphasis on community and communal organizing. While this is a blow, it's not the end and could ignite the left to come out and put representatives in place to codify reproductive rights rather than relying on the Supreme Court case as precedent as they have done for nearly four decades. Again, more to come, but I have even bigger fears that are looming on the horizon than just this. I, rather than seeing this as the culmination, I see this as, uh, as a real tipping point and a turning point for further fuckery that would be even more devastating to us. So, yeah. Anyway, some unfucked Kiwi said, wow, look, I'm just another Gen X basic white guy. No fuckboy haircut, though. Neither do I. So I know it's not my place to input an opinion into this. Just wanted to say that this is shocking people around the world. And it kills me that this just got added to your plate, along with every other totally fucked thing. We are with you and your fight to have say over your own fucking bodies. Shouldn't even need to be said. Thank you for the support from New Zealand. Some unfucked Kiwi, we appreciate that. And with that, why don't we get over to coffee donations for all the people that have been supporting our work here at Unfucking the Republic. Unfucking Phil is now a member. Y'all the fucking best. Thanks for the sharp, thoughtful, and much-needed critique you bring to the discourse. FMF, FRR, FMM, FDT, and FSA, and the rest of our defunct SCOTUS. Yeah, I think we're going to have to add FSA there for sure. Now that people are really coming to understand who Alito is, I think he's going to stay up there for a little while. He is a pure activist, conservative fuck nugget. Steve is now a member. I love this. I fucking love this show. Excuse me. The episode on religion reminded me of the anti-Semitism from the Christian right and the story of the Good Samaritan and its meaning. When I was growing up Christian, I didn't know that the Samaritans were another religious group. After leaving my religion, I consider myself an atheist. I actually read the entire Bible front to back multiple times and was shocked by how much of the Bible the evangelical right ignores. Love to 99 Max and Manny Faces. Thank you for all you do. Looking forward to you unfucking the UK. Definitely going to unfuck the UK. Probably going to start with Thatcher just so we can lay some groundwork. And I can say, Steve, first of all, thank you for becoming a member and supporting the show financially. It means the world to us because it allows us to keep doing what we do. And I can also say, though, that I love that you put in there that, yeah, I have read the Bible and I don't know what fucking book these people are reading. One of the things that we said in the last in the religion episode was, are they even reading this fucking book? And I don't know if they are. Unicorn Mike is now a member. Thanks for your effort. As they say, I put my money where my mind is. Unicorn Mike, welcome to the fold. Rod is now a member. More than just curious, but too cheap to be insane. It's not cheap. Being insane is just that. It is insane. And we, we, we're all, our minds are always blown when we get these insane level members. But honestly, our minds are blown when we get any membership for the show. Because we know what this means and where else your money could be going. We also know that our money doesn't go as far as it used to. So every time we get a new member, we're look. I mean, we slack each other. We're like, this is 
this is amazing. And also just know that it is helping us produce this show so that we can actually, you know, do more of it. So every single membership is appreciated. Yeah, the memberships are paying my salary. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wanted to like, I wish. A, wanted to a- appeal and be like, if you don't be a member, I won't get paid. <laughs> but I don't want to make you sound like a bad person. Uh, so M. Finn Kingsman is also now a member and said, never stop. I cannot live without you. Good Lord. Well, we can't live without your membership. So I guess we're in the mutual we need each other society here. I like this next one. Mm-hmm. Isaac E. became a member and said, I'm scared. Please fix it. Yeah, we're going to fix all of it. We Me just need too. a little bit of time. I am also scared. Professor G is now a member. Well, Prof G is now a member as well. Yeah, maybe they're a professional, not a, not a professor. And DL bought 10 coffees and said, I've been a shithead. I love you guys so much for real. No, 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 DL. They bought 11 coffees. 11 coffees. Good Lord. We love you for it. Steve bought four coffees. I want to apologize for being a little behind on the episodes. You don't have to apologize. They're there for a reason. That's why they're in an archive, Steve. It's all good. Steve's been concentrating on studying and working the past month. Looking forward to the Unfucking the Religion episode. Hope you enjoy it. The way Christianity and the state are bred together in the United States. Are baff- in bed together. Are in bed together. Baffles me a bit. Even though we have a state church, religious religion. Baffles me as a Brit. As a, uh, <laughs> Do you know I need my glasses? Yeah, I know you do. You're like fucking my roommate. She's always like, what I'm does not, that say? I am not fucking your roommate, just to be clear. <laughs> what? I thought you were. <laughs> she refuses to wear her glasses. It drives me insane. Okay, on fuckers. I have my glasses on now. Let me give this another shot. Ready? The way Christianity and the state are in bed together in America baffles me as a Brit. Wow, look at all these words that are in here. There's so many letters. Even though we have a state church, religion isn't a big thing for most people in the UK. My mom, <laughs> this is so very British. My mom. Who's, should I should I do the wrestling as a Brit? Who's amazing and taught me how to be a man was shocked and appalled by the televangelists that thrive in America. It always irritates me how the religious right forgets that the Bible leans left economically, especially the New Testament. It was like a uh, it was like a nasally Michael Caine. That's why I was I, I very much heard Michael Caine as Austin Powers' father, Faja. Faja. Yeah. <laughs> now Melissa M. Went, went bananas here. Melissa M. bought us 20 coffees. It is, that is a ridiculous amount of money to be spending on us. Thank you so much, Melissa, for doing that. Nathan Surst bought us a couple of coffees and said, this was the episode I've been waiting for for over a year, ever since our Prosperity Doctrine episode. The episode meant so much to me. I was brought up with a Jewish father and a Methodist mother who, after losing support from both their religions, became Unitarians. He says, look that up when you have time. And it's funny. So there's like 2,000 religions. And I had a piece on Unitarians as kind of the prototypical religious left, like the doctrinal faith that would invite everybody in under one umbrella and how they're always at the forefront of really progressive social change. But there are so many others as well that I didn't want to isolate it to just that. So I decided to just kind of leave it out and, and leave it blank and leave it to the imagination but yeah, good stuff there. And I, I love that you actually made that comment. Nathan Sirs finished up saying, today's episode gave me a personal feeling of acceptance and drove a commitment to try and do better to understand the views, even when not based on fact, in order to drive common goals. I love the research you do. Um, Nathan, that meant all of that. Everything you just said really means the world to us. Thank you so much. And uh, we had a couple of reviews just to close everything out. Skeeve60 said, 
If you only have enough time to listen to one podcast, this is the one. Wow, that is amazing. If you've ever shrugged your shoulders and said the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and wondered why, you'll find out here. Oh, and have I mentioned humor? Max and 99 have an impish sense of humor. Yep, this is the one. And Wilds94 said this podcast hits the mark. Accurate information, broad understanding of a topic. Sure, a left-leaning bias, but for good reason. Wilds94, their review was from France. It Ooh. wasn't in French, but it came through the French. Like, I can tell what... That's just so cool. on Apple. And Skeev60 was Canadian. Look at, the, look at our international base. And on that note... 99, great seeing you this week. <laughs> you too. I assume, I don't think there's going to be a topical cream, but you never know. The world might just throw us a curveball. I know. I'm anticipating, well, first, because you lied to me. And I did. And I think you see you really had this in your mind. But also- I didn't. There's, okay, sure. You've lost your trust with me. <laughs> you got to regain I really, it. I really didn't oh, have it in my mind. Yeah, okay. mm. And what isn't the world going to fuck up that we're going to get mad at? I think about how many times where it's like 11 p.m. and I see some shitty story and I send it to you and I'm like, fucking kill myself because I'm a millennial, <laughs> you know? Right. And that's, we're always going to want to yell. We so, are always going to want to yell. It's a... Uh, but you know, they're a little time consuming and my mind is elsewhere on this other episode because I want to get it right. Not to say that my mind wasn't on the other episodes. It just, what did we cream so far? Elon was kind of big, right? I mean, it was just... Drill man drill. Yep. Elon gated. Yep. The end of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. I hope everybody's enjoying the topical creams, by the way, because I'm enjoying putting them together. And it's kind of like a release valve because so many times when I'm really in the weeds on something and I see something out of out of my peripheral vision and I'm like, fuck, I got to get there. It'll wind up on the board, but then it sort of loses steam and momentum. So yeah. I like being able to kind of drill into it, but I'm really trying hard not to wade too far into commentary. Mm-hmm. I think that's really dangerous for us because time is the most beneficial asset that we have on this show is being able to really look at the historical context and, and tell a story deeply about something rather than just react. So I never want topical cream to be reactionary, but when there's something where we have some context on it, like if something came up about Julian Assange and we'd already done the episode on free Julian Assange, like that, that to me feels like a no brainer. Like, hey, we can update some old stuff. Let's weigh in on what's really going on right now and add some context to it. But if it's just brand new and out of left field, it's going to be a little more difficult. And I don't want to be a reactionary. Wait, also, before we wrap up, mm -hmm. isn't it crazy that the episode you mentioned was from a year ago? Which one? The corporate irresponsibility. Yes. No, it was like 2021. It was scrolling like, oh, my God, that's so many episodes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Remember we're, our first episodes? We're going to hit a really cool milestone this summer i don't know if people care much care as much about them as we do they don't <laughs> they don't okay they don't just for us it's kind of cool yeah we're gonna hit one million subscribers not really you don't know that's true for all of the unfuckers out there in our ever-expanding universe our international unfucking universe thank you for all of your support for helping us continue to do what we do with the financial support we encourage you to keep doing it yeah remember pays salary all right and of course yes 99 um it puts it puts gas in our vehicle to get here right mm -hmm. so it really does go to support everything that we're doing here in the show but remember if you want to if you are a coffee drinker and you want to support the show you don't have to be a member you can just order 
our coffee, the unfucking brand coffee, because it's brewed by some of the best coffee brewers and roasters in the country. It's not brewed by them. It's roasted by the best coffee roasters in the country. Brewed by you. It's brewed by you. You get to brew it. They don't deliver you the brewed coffee. You fucking brew it yourself. You know what I'm saying? But the roasting, that shit happens by the best fucking roasters in the country out at the Puspatuck Reservation made by the Unkichog people. You support them. You support us. The whole fucking thing goes round and round. It's beautiful. And if you subscribe to our Substack, you'll see some discount. That's right. And how much is it to subscribe to the uh, Substack there, 99? 3.99. Forget about it. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about? I'm not good at it. I'll talk to you later. What a, see you later, alligator. Max out. Yo, yo, yo. Oh, you sucker MCs ain't got nothing on me. From my grades to my lines, you can't fuck with Kevin G. I'm a math leak. So nerd isn't bird, but forget what you heard. I'm like James Bond the third. Shush, shake not stirred. I'm Kevin the poor. The G silent when I sneak in your door. I make love to your woman on the bathroom floor. I don't play like Shag. You'll know it was me. Cause the next time you see her, she'll be like, uh, Kevin G. Thank you, Kevin. That's enough. Happy holidays, everybody. Ooh.